Let's go. Uh, uh, uh. Turn the music up uh, in the headphones. Good afternoon, good afternoon. Welcome to episode two of Unapologetically Black. We have our host, E. King, as well as Just Ice. What you got going on, bro? Just Ice, I'm in the building. I see equality and everything. Let's go. All right. We also got our we also got our special guest, Dr. Krishana Jackson, Leftwich. Tell us about yourself. I am an associate professor at Youngstown State University. I've known you guys for a very, very, Forever. very long time. Uh, <laughs> very, 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 very long time. You're starting to put ages on it. I ain't put no ages. I'm just saying that. <laughs> Forever. So our topic today is white shade in parentheses, a.k.a. microaggressions in white places. So the definition of white places everywhere. is everywhere. So... This comes about from what we've been seeing in the last six months. Nothing but uh, on Twitter, Facebook, all that. Nothing but aggression. Let's just be real about it towards black people. And it's not like we used to say see back back in the day. We we used to see it, you know, in what police officers. We used to see mm-hmm. it with officials. Mm-hmm. But now this is just regular people getting up in black people's face, feeling as if they are entitled to correct them. So tell us about yourself. You are, what, a professor at uh, Youngstown State University. What type of microaggressions you see? Because you both are black. You're black as well as a woman. Hey, can't, can't, before, before we, well, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Let's see if the, your explanations, uh, your examples will show us. Well, being the only female, the only African-American in my department and being in a field where black PhDs are not the norm, um, you you will see it. You will see it. We were talking, you know, can I touch your hair? You know, how long? What school did you go to when you're trying to get publications? You know, you also notice whenever you there's a diversity committee you're always put on that committee <laughs> whenever a black student has a problem they send all the black students i'm looking like wait i finally had to tell them no i am no i'm no longer doing this i'm so no longer about, about to do this i'm talking about having a diversity problem at a university and wanting the black people to fix the diversity problem that the white people caused okay did no, you? put some white folk on <laughs> the diversity. What is that face? What is that face? Put some white people on the diversity committee and let them figure out the problem. I'm the, I live the problem. So the, the the accepted buzzword, as we all know, is what diversity. Hey. And that's well, that too. <laughs> also, diversity. You worked at it. You worked in at a university. I work at a university. We know diversity basically means what black people doing as, as a part of shit. something, right? <laughs> So when they call, so when I hear you talk about black people and or on the diversity board, that is true. You go on, and what they're basically trying to say is how we all can work together and live together, which is a lot of bull, because we all humans. So I know that you know one of the things that just as you say, what what do you say? Race is a what? Oh, race is a construct. Meaning. Meaning that it's something that we've created, and I think you know to go back to the microaggression and, 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 and give that understanding of the construct, mm-hmm. you know, the, the definition of microaggression, and I'm pulling this off of line, right. line, is a statement or action or incident regarded as an instance of indirect, subtle, or unintentional discrimination, discrimination mm-hmm. against members of a marginalized group 
such as a racial or ethnic minority. Mm-hmm. So when we bring in race and race constructs, you know, microaggression is literally the 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 baby of that construct. Okay. Because individuals are trying to, you know, let's be honest, be prejudiced, discriminate. So when we and that is the purpose of microaggression. To what? Discriminate? To discriminate. Okay. To marginalize people, to to set them aside, to set them off. Um the easiest example I would give would be like that high school kid who honestly really isn't that cool, but he's, you know, mm-hmm. making everybody else uh, feel bad about how they look and how they feel. So it deflects from him. So when we when we pay attention to the news and we pay attention to what's going on, we see a lot more, like I said, more of the aggressive aspect because micro basically means what small, minimal, passive aggressive, you know, shade as you as as you said it now we're seeing it a little bit different because now we have instances of people just regular people you know being calling the police and asking the police to be like Joyce said last night my wife Joyce she said it's the, the police have turned actually said it this morning into the tattletale police it's like I'm gonna go ahead and tell I'm, let me call the police and the police gonna do what I want them to do now that also bore from a lot of these shootings so I don't know. So what you got? But that's always been the case, right? Like right. we had this conversation in my African-American politics class. The issues with the black community and the police, you can go all the way back to the Black Panthers. You can go back mm-hmm. to civil rights when mm-hmm. blacks were trying to peacefully protest and you spraying people with fire hoses, you sicking dogs on them. Mm-hmm. You're not you're not listening. You you automatically take the caller's side. Like you have these right. situations like the woman who was sleeping in the dorm and yell and yell had right. that student just walked over to the girl and said hey excuse me are you okay or made a conversation mm-hmm. she would have figured out that she lived there she didn't even do that she just called they just automatically called the police mm-hmm. and then the police automatically take the person who called them side mm-hmm. whether a crime has been committed or not and you're like is that your, like is that what we're doing now we're just telling the police on everything what you say, Jess? And, 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 and to piggyback off of that, I, I believe the microaggression turns into macroaggression when the police have the, the ability to make a decision mm-hmm. on what the information that's in front of them and they still decide to do something that is, you know, discriminatory. And I use the, the individual, the brother who got punched in the face at a Trump rally. Right. He got arrested. Right. They didn't punch the white man and the, they didn't arrest the white man who punched the brother. Mm-hmm. They and they they saw it happen. So that's a version of that micro being allowed to turn macro. And then the, the police department furthers that um, backs them up by saying, you know, we were just doing our job. Well, if you were doing your job, why would you not arrest the individual who actually did the assault? And that comes up with the uh, Starbucks incident. So the Starbucks incident. You know, the two black dudes was just chilling. And if you look at them, let's be real. If you look at them, they didn't look as if they can afford a five, six, seven, eight, nine dollar drink. And so the police came in. They did whatever police do. And what they basically said afterward is we were just doing our job. And what 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 upsets me about that is we often play this game, even in policing, is that you're doing your job. So you're doing the thing for all the wrong reasons. Well, you're doing the, your job for white people because to your point, mm-hmm. and I say this all the time. So as a as a professor, mm-hmm. I dress business casual all day, every day. As right. an African-American woman, I have to wear suits or 
you know, I dress a, a look a certain way. Mm-hmm. My white colleagues will come with holes in their jeans, mm-hmm. clogs, or whatever, and that's fine because they can look that way. Right. So to say, well, they didn't look like they could afford a five dollar jeans. Look at what those other white people were wearing in that mm-hmm. Starbucks. They wear flip flops and ripped up shoes, and that's okay. But for us, when we go out and we want to have a certain image, mm-hmm. we have to portray ourselves a certain way. In a Starbucks when like they were saying well we're meeting somebody here mm-hmm. so first of all even if you couldn't afford the drink the person that you're meeting might be buying Possibly. a drink right second of all you know look i i have a starbucks card i know how you know how to make a mobile order right, right. i could have ordered something on myself i could be right. waiting for my mobile order right but what the police should have done when they got there mm-hmm. And everybody around said they're not doing anything. They're not tra- causing any problems. The police are like, well, it's our job. So what you're saying is your job is when somebody calls you, mm-hmm. then you automatically figure that they're breaking the law and that's your job. No, your job should have been to tell that woman that we are going to charge you for making a false police report. That's your real job. Justice, is it their job to, so is it is it their job to interpret? Is it their job to? Yes. It's their job to yes, interpret. Is the job? Wait, 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 wait. Because police are the only entities that have the have the right to, and I'm, and this may be helping your point, to take away your 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 freedom as well as kill you. So they can detain you, they can lock you up, take away your freedom, and they they also can kill you. So this that may be helping your point, but finish your point and, and. and with the question that has to do, is it their job to interpret, or is it their job just to enforce? It is anyone's job to interpret. If I'm a bartender and you come up to the bar mm-hmm. and you look inebriated, even though I know I'm going to get a good tip from you because you're inebriated, it is my job. It's my moral job. It's my responsibility to tell you no. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to take the information that is in front of me, make an assessment, and then act accordingly. You are a professional okay. who can take someone's life, mm-hmm. who can take someone's freedom. You walk into a room and, th- and 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 what you're supposed to do is say, okay, well, this person called me. They have an issue. This person is the issue. How do I assess this? Okay. The, in the Starbucks um, situation, how many officers have gone into a Starbucks and have not bought something immediately? Right. These individuals was only in Starbucks a couple of minutes before the police were called. Two minutes. So when they when they showed up, they should have asked those questions. They should have, you know, they should have said those things, but they didn't. And the reality of it is, is because microaggressions have been along around for so long that it's easy for them to turn into a macro. But in Pennsylvania, when those women were golfing, right. they were golfing. The black, women. the black five black women who were members mm-hmm. of the club, the police were called on them. Mm-hmm. The police came to that situation, and the police looked around and they left because mm-hmm. they said, "There's not a crime has. There's nothing we can do. There's no right. crime here." So we're talk- so what we're doing we're talking we're actually talking about individuals that have been able to take an oath and say hey you know I take an oath in order to protect what that's a different type of aggression and that's and we can talk a little bit more about that but these microaggressions are typically individuals that have no no type of authority over anybody else and now they're feeling that that they're feeling some type of way and so now they can i know we've been talking about people calling the police but there are instances on on uh on social media to where these are regular people just straight out calling out black people to you know calling them names calling them baboons the n-word the one hotel manager you know came and was like uh the guy came and asked for what did he ask for some soap he called. He he blessed this dude out. Called him all types of n words, and it's all on camera. And the the worst that happened to that dude is that he was fired. 
that was the worst. So yeah. y- you guys are talking about police officers. Microaggressions really come from just the general public. And I felt and, that. And I would I would I would further that argument to say that the, the police officers get their judgment from the, the, the regular pu- public as well. OK. So, again, I'm a I'm Joe Schmo, regular public person, mm-hmm. and I'm at a, a, a park mm-hmm. and there's some brothers who are there who are barbecuing at the park. And because I feel like it, I call the police. I'm Joe Schmo. Mm-hmm. The police are only and, and their argument is they're only doing their job. Joe Schmo called me because somebody's doing an infraction. So I'm coming out to check the infraction. So, I mean, I, I understand that. You know, this really isn't a police issue because it really isn't. It's a general public issue. But the general public are guiding people's uh, misperceptions and their microaggressions, you know, because of their their fallacies, because of their their ignorance. So so police are people, too. And they carry that. But police are people that, depending on where they are trained, so Mm -hmm. like in Youngstown and certain Mm -hmm. areas, they don't necessarily have to have bachelor's degrees. Right. They don't have, we were talking about those liberal arts. Okay. And they don't necessarily have that empathy. So so when we look at how we're training individuals who have all this authority, who are street-level bureaucrats in a way because they make policy, Mm -hmm. they get to dictate freedoms. And then we look at where we're pulling them and then the communities in which they're policing. A mm-hmm. lot of police are not policing their own communities. Okay. You know, they yeah. wouldn't do this stuff in their neighborhood. Okay. So on the other side of this break, we're going to get back because you said a, a key word, which is empathy. And that empathy portion is actually what a lot that is missing. Like how, when you say empathy, is having a certain amount of emotions for another person that, you know, it goes back to the golden rule, treat somebody like you will want to be treated. So when we come back on the other side of the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about that and get into this uh, microaggressions. And how is it, are we just, is this something that we're just going to accept and that this is just something that in this new era that is just, it is what it is. So we're going to get, we're going to get uh, connect to that once we get on this break. Uh, once again, you're listening to WOVU. This is Unapologetically Black a news story or special interest topic you'd like us to consider, we welcome you to email us at program at W-O-V-U dot org or newsline at 216-271-0959. Thanks, thanks for returning back with us. Once again, this is Unapologetic. We unapologetically black on WOVU LP Cleveland 95.9 uh, on the other side of that break we were talking about uh, talking about empathy talk a little bit more uh, Dr. Jackson left with you about empathy what I find a lot of times is that people just they just they're just not empathetic like if you look at situations and a lot of these things that are happening you know like you said beyond how would you feel if this was happening to you directly and then you have people that don't want to put themselves in other people's shoes. And so, like, they don't understand. You know, I had a friend that was like, well, she's like, I would want to be a good citizen. But how, when do you call the police? And I'm like, look, on black people, you can't call the police in certain situations because they're just going to make the situation worse. Like, in your experience, they come and cause peace. But in other situations, 
you know, what what's going to be the outcome of this? You know, you have more African-Americans. We have this mass incarceration of blacks. We have more people than ever before in prison. They just did a study that said, what, 20 percent of the people that are in prison weren't even convicted of a crime. They just mm-hmm. plea bargained out. Plea bargained so you're out. pretty much going to prison for being poor. Mm-hmm. You know, we have all these other issues, these compounding issues. And so when you start looking at, you know, what are we going to do? You know, at some point we can't do it as the black community by ourselves. We mm-hmm. have to get other people. We have to get other allies that say, you know, this is this is unacceptable. Like at the Starbucks, the one thing I liked was the lady who was recording the whole thing mm-hmm. that was like, when they were like, well, what did they do? And she's like, nothing. They didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, she stepped up. She said something. They were like, why, why are you arresting them? What you, what you got, Justin? You know, I think this is the part where I, I, I kind of struggle with the whole concept of microaggression um, and honestly being on a on a black, pro-black level, mm-hmm. um, because I believe as a as a personal trainer, as a counselor, as a teacher, as so many different levels, sometimes you have to get people to, to do things indirectly. Meaning um, what? Sometimes you got to throw shade. Sometimes you got to say, you know, that that thing that isn't so comfortable for people to hear. Um, and if I use, you know, minorities, you know, it's really easy for, for someone to crap on minorities because they're already doing a great job of it themselves. <laughs> so so can black people throw microaggressions? Yes. Yeah, no doubt. I believe we do. I, I believe that we've learned how to do it from them. What you mean? Um, I believe that we've learned through slavery and, you know, 40 years, 70, 80, 90 years of oppression and disenfranchisement and so many other cute little words that we can say that people have learned how to um, be microaggressive to each other. And and I hate to say that we have a young lady on the panel, but I feel like, you know, our sisters do a really, really good job of being, you know, aggressive, throwing shade on each other. To impress us? Is that? (laughs) Well, I mean, to your to your point, some of the shadiest. Not for me, because I love all my sisters. I and I (laughs) no, I have been. I tell people this all the time. Like I have been very fortunate that my network, my sister girl network, my sister girl network is strong, and and my enemies are not my sister girls. Like that is my girlfriends are my girlfriends. But the the shade that I've seen a lot of times is over trying to get a man or deal with a man or attention from a man or he said this because we live in this society where some women, not all of them, value their worth. People value their ability based off of relationships that they're in, based off of whether or not they're married, based off of if they can get somebody and they take that to the next level. You brought... You said that they learned it from us, so. No, I said they do it over. No, no, no. I think, Justice, you Justice. said they learned it from us. Oh, yeah. So it's like the N word, right? It's like if 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 you in a if you in a group of people and you in mix you got mixed company and somebody used the N word, is that validating mm-hmm. that individual, that that person that is not of the culture to use the N word because it's just you know everywhere so ubiquitous. So you use it, I use it. So is that what you're talking about? <laughs> to a certain extent, but if we were to use, I, I'm gonna try to use the the N word as an example. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some of us who have embraced it, right? And there's some of us who have not, okay. right? For the ones who, and this is my opinion, for the ones who have not embraced it, they're still thinking that nigger means a negative thing, and nigger only is a black thing. We're gonna have for to those, that out. 
that again? We wanted to beep that out, but go ahead, because you own it. Go yeah, ahead. Keep out. it going. But, you know, the beauty of the, the, the N-word, I think, for, for a lot of people, is mm-hmm. it's a very easy example to see how microaggressions have been learned and continue to be perpetuated by the individuals that the microaggression was supposed to keep down in the first place. My push Again, we have to remember that microaggression isn't a positive thing. It, it's, it's not my, supposed to it's uplift. Not supposed to, right, but my pushback on it is, is we do do this to the, we've been doing this to ourselves for a while. Let's, we, so a lot of times we talk about boycott boycott everybody want to boycott but you have we have in the black community have been boycotting black businesses forever that's a that's a macro aggression that's an aggression right because if you have mcdonald's you will not go to mcdonald's in your hood you will go where to the suburbs to the white spot so to go back to your point of learning i you're right they they are learning this from us both negative and positive they're going to co-opt our 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 community our culture they're also co-opting our negativity towards one another. But black people throw out that boycott word and they don't really know what that means, right? right? Like you can't boycott something for a month, right? If you're gonna, like when they did the big boycott, like they boycotted over a year and they were organized. Like people were like, we're boycotting. Wait, I don't even know. Is there, a, is there a website? Like how are we supposed to even know? What, you know what I'm saying? Like how do I know what we're boycotting? How long we're boycotting for? Okay. Are we organizing? You know, what's the alternatives? Right. Are, do we know, do we have data to know what the impact of our boycott is gonna be to show them that, hey, you're losing money because of our boycott? Or do they just think, hey, maybe it's just retail's just out. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like we what? have to be more organized. Yeah, we have to be more organized, but we've been organized on this tip of of microaggressions. We've been this actually just aggressive. People do this. I we've just go ahead and say it. There are people that have said I've given up on black people. That's an that's an aggressive point of view. And if you say that in mixed company, then that gives that gives agency to other people to say that. What? Can I Listen, listen, I, you know, I, I'm not a person that will say that I've given up on black people, but I'm a person that will say, you know what? I'm very selective with the black people I attempt to help. OK. All right. Be, again, because I believe, you know, and I'm going to go back to the boycotting piece. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're boycotting for the black man or for the black woman mm-hmm. and you have a group of black people that are saying, you know what? I don't see the benefit in the boycott. For me, that's a microaggression against yourself. What? Because in essence, we're supposed to be speaking for, you know, the race, the black race, and therefore okay. the human race. We want everybody to be better. Okay. But we can't get everybody to boycott together because you have some people who, some black people who mm-hmm. are are what I would call cancers, who have no problem with being microaggressive and saying, you know what, I don't see how that's going to work. It so, doesn't benefit me because I don't see how it's going to help. I don't see how that boycotting is going to work. I'm not boycotting. So we've had this argument, you and I, we've had it off off air about the NFL. And let, let me let me just say it's a debate, it's not an argument. We've had it, and so what you're actually talking about is everybody for the black moving towards the black for a greater cause. And we've had that, that discussion about how black people that are watching it, the NFL are circumventing, you know, what Kaepernick is doing. Is that is that what you you exactly talking what I'm about? Okay. Exactly what I'm saying. So, which Kaepernick is, and I'm not putting him in the same boat as mm-hmm. Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther King did not have to speak up for us. Okay, he could have, he could have chilled, he could have Uncle Sam did out, 
collected his hundred thousand dollars a year, went mm -hmm. off and taught at some college, mm -hmm. and he'd probably still be alive today. Okay, that's so. Just to push back on that, you got something on there? I was just gonna say. <laughs> so, for instance, like the NFL boycott. So, what my <laughs> my thing is once again. So is the boycott to just not watch it or is the boycott to not attend the games? Mm -hmm. Is the boycott until Kaepernick gets, do we want him to get a job? Because the boycott with what Kaepernick has done and what back to your microaggression, people aren't even focused anymore on his, his actual purpose for kneeling. Now it's everything about, oh, you're just disrespecting the flag and the national anthem. And his protest had nothing to do with the national anthem. His protest had everything to do with police brutality and police violence. So whose job is it to clarify well, the boycott? So this has been, so and, and we've I had this conversation, it should be Kaepernick's job. But the okay. one thing that Colin Kaepernick, besides him standing silent, he mm -hmm. really has not spoken out. Everybody is doing the talking for Colin Kaepernick, except for Colin Kaepernick. I have yet to hear Colin Kaepernick come out and take a statement to give speeches, mm -hmm. to rally the people. This is the movement that you started. Mm -hmm. And now you want everybody else. I don't know if he wants everybody else to get behind it or not, but he's been he's been crickets. Okay. What do you think? And, and I, 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 I'm sorry. I have to. I, I agree with what you're saying. Don't get me wrong. But I believe that there was a part in Colin, Colin Kaepernick that, again, was was peacefully protesting. Mm -hmm. And this really got blown out of proportion when a microaggression turned into a macroaggression and he was no longer to be allowed to be employed. So that and so when we look at that, that's actually just straight out aggression to me. That's is is no longer micro or macro. That's an aggressive standpoint because what you're what you're saying is this person who were who has a hierarchy or within a hierarchy. So you you have the players, you have the coaches, then you have the front office. This person was definitely and you can see it being boycotted or blackballed or whatever whatever term you want to use from doing his job. So that's like me as a therapist, as a teacher, somebody actually saying you can't do your job because I didn't stand up, you know, for the national anthem. So we're going to make sure you're not going to be, you're, we're going to revoke your license. For what reason? And, and, and for your ability to work. You know, you know and, and again, I, I would, you know, I would really draw draw down on the the fact that the response to Kaepernick was the 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 culmination of a bunch of microaggressions mm -hmm. that people are honestly fearful may become a movement mm -hmm. and so what they did was and this is what you know dr jackson just said stated was they started filibustering his issue right oh it's all live matter is this right. lives matter and right. that is a part of the microaggression right every single time we have an issue or a headache we are told that's not how you're supposed to uh you know, combat it. That's not how you're supposed to address it. Mm -hmm. And so my argument would be really easy. Tell me how I'm supposed to do it then. So and and I unfortunately and I hate to bring Kanye into this, but I think that's what Kanye is doing. Kanye is saying, you know what? All right. You want me to be a free thinker? I'm free thinking. And you don't like that. All right. You want me to do it this way? You don't like that. No matter what I do, you don't like. I just want Kanye bring to get therapy. <laughs> so I'm just therapy. <laughs> so I, I just but to. So for the Kaepernick yeah, thing, so this is where it gets tricky. Well, maybe it's mm -hmm. not even tricky. When Colin Kaepernick was sitting originally for the national anthem, right. and, and, and now correct me if I'm wrong, 
he mm-hmm. he was not the starting quarterback. He no. was a no. second string quarterback. Yes. So yes. now what has happened is the reporter that came over and asked him, who just noticed that he was sitting, mm-hmm. and this got blown out the way. While I think he might be better than some of the quarterbacks in the league, mm-hmm. um, he he didn't lose his starting job, right? He was already right. He was already sitting right. on the bench. Right. So now you have to also look at teams who I think, like we had mentioned, who are afraid to take a stand, right. who don't have the empathy to understand what people are going through, right. to ask, are they willing? Because a lot of the players who originally were with him and they were kneeling mm-hmm. throughout, they mm-hmm. stopped. The one was it the guy for the Browns when they asked if they wanted to, um, to switch teams. Right. They asked him directly, would he kneel? Would he stop his protest for the anthem? And mm-hmm. now... You know, you don't even have the the players, um, the unity anymore because they're so fearful, just as I think to your point, of this big, bad NFL. So, but listen, I've already had problems with the NFL, right? Because they let their players beat their wives, you know, <laughs> kill their baby mamas, yeah, yeah. Aaron Hernandez running around murdering folks. And everybody, if you can run the ball, if you can throw the ball, and if you can kick the ball, we will turn the other way. And if Colin Kaepernick was one of the Tom Brady's or somebody else, he would still be playing in the NFL. But because he was on that bubble at the time of that protest, they got they were too afraid to take that risk on him. What you got? Oh, I got I got one name. Go ahead. Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> what about? Oh yeah, he raped. Big ben? Yeah, the uh, rape case you talking about in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Ben Roethlisberger. Mm-hmm. You know, and and there's He's so many playing. cases like that that you know again. You know, to Shani's point, if you want to let a rape, if 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 Michael Vick can be, you know, villainized for you know fighting dogs, but you're not going to villainize all the other people for mm-hmm. vilify, excuse me, vilify all the other people for you know domestic violence and drugs and right. this and that and whatever the case may be, and then we got Colin Kaepernick who is doing something peaceful, mm-hmm. right? Whether or not he's the first uh, string quarterback or the second string quarterback, he's doing something that was peaceful. And because it's him, because his skin don't look like other people, he's being vilified for it. Yeah, so I go, wouldn't lose sleep if we boycotted the NFL, honestly. So so go back, speaking of the NFL, let's go back to that second half of this. What do you define, because we talk about it, white spaces, and we say white spaces, quote unquote. The NFL is definitely a white space as it relates to ownership. And a lot of what we've been seeing in the news, whether it's Starbucks, whether it's a cookout, whether it's uh, at the Waffle House, whether it's what's another one? Golf course. Golf course. Let's be real. These Yale. are these are who? Yale. Yale. That's college. These are all considered oh. white spaces. And when we look at it, and we look at this this whole idea of white spaces, I felt that way. I felt aggressed in areas within this last six months. I don't know whether it's my own doing, or whether it's. Uh, is my own doing by paying attention to what's going on or if it's something in the air. And it it has been an increase of people just not feeling comfortable anymore in regular places, not just places to where, um, you know, everybody goes. I was at a Dairy Queen. It was, that's not a white space. But when I walked in, it was all white people there. Was it in Solon? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It was not, it was not in Solon. Where was your Dairy Queen? Right. Now, it, to me, every place right now, like you said, Dr. Shani, every place is a white place. Is that right? 
And unless we go to HBCU. And you know what's funny is again, I'm I pro- I really am probably the one person on the panel that would disagree. Okay. You know, and 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 maybe it's because, and I'll say this out loud, maybe it is a mindset. You know, it's not maybe it's a mindset. It truly is a mindset. You, you know, I, I lived in Cleveland, Ohio for ten years. You know, so I understand what Cleveland is like. You know, mm-hmm. and it wasn't the greatest experience for me. I'll say that first and foremost. Um, but I've also traveled around the country, and I do believe that it's a mindset. What do you mean? Explain that. Um, I, I, again, because the topic is microaggression. If we mm-hmm. look at the, the definition of microaggression, it, it really is supposed to keep people at bay, keep people under wraps, under the thumb, under the foot. Keep them in their place um, is what you're trying to say. In their place, you know. And so that is the whole entire idea of the microaggression. It's mm-hmm. it's the bullying school that every time you walk by, he got something to say about your hair. Right. You know, he got something to say about your clothes. Right. You know, because if I say something about you, it deflects the attention off of me. Mm-hmm. So you know, if I keep having you speak about your color and your race and every every room that you go into, I don't really got to do much because I already know what you're thinking about. So do we punch? So who do we need to punch in the face? Because when you're talking about when you're talking about <laughs> bullies and microaggressions as it relates to school, and now I know we don't. I'm not. I'm not promoting violence. What I'm pr- promoting is protection. When you think about a bully, right? Because we have, I, I have kids, you have kids, we all, all on this panel have kids. A lot of times, and my son had a little incident, you know, somebody was bullying him, he slapped him, he slapped my son in the back of the neck, and my son punched him in the face. And we got, we, we got to pick up, you know, we went to go pick up my son at, at, the, uh, at the daycare, and they said, well, this is what, you know, this is what happened, and this is our policy on violence. And he's, and, and, she explained that to my son and my son said this is not what my mom and dad is you know taught me which is true mm. with bullies who do we punch mm. in the f- it, with this microaggression being in white places with all this going on who who needs to be punched in the face everybody the bully but who's the bully though bully the bully is everybody but i think well, to I- what justice was saying you know he don't agree that every and i think it can also be a mindset because one of the things that I was taught is just like you just got like if you act like you're supposed to be there, <laughs> then you then know, it works it out. It works out all right for you. So you just walk in there. Sometimes you know you we can be our own worst enemies, and we have to go in there with the knowing. Look, I have every right to be here. All right, I'm. I don't know why y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. What the problem is? I'm about to sit up here. I'm about to order this caramel macchiato. I'm about to <laughs> type up this, get on this online, write my little screenplay or whatever I'm doing, right? And I'm just gonna mind my business. But that has ha- that's that's happened. That happened at, at Starbucks. They spoke it for themselves. That happened at and they got uh, a nice little settlement. Right, the Yale. It, it happened in Yale. It happened at the Waffle House. It happened at the barbecue. And what's interesting, a lot of these people that are filming these these things are white people. Which is which is interesting, but which is all, all that all it is beautiful. But all, people are speaking up. It, it's but, just and I think not that's working. The, that's when I say when not I say pu- everybody okay. needs to be punched. Okay. In, when I say everybody needs to be punched in the face, I, mean, I really do. I think white people, black, Hispanics, everybody needs to be punched in the face with the empathy that we were talking about, okay. with an understanding that you know what. And and for me, one of the 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 pet peeves that I have is when other minorities hate on black people. Okay. You know, and it's like, you've gone, especially like Mexicans or Puerto Ricans, you know, and I'll pick on them just for right now. 
you know, some Puerto Ricans have gone through an experience where even within Hispanics, they are considered lower on the totem pole. Mm -hmm. So if you're within your own sub race, you've experienced racism. Why would you go out and put that racism on someone else? And that microaggression that we're talking about is Mm -hmm. what they're doing. Let me deflect on them as opposed to deflecting on me. I live in Miami where there's a lot of uh, island folk, Mm -hmm. you know, and those island folk will tell you in a heartbeat, they're not black. To me, that's microaggression. Right. Okay. So How we get, are you not black? They have different experiences. So let's, but I got, uh, I got, I know what you're going with that, and we could do a whole <laughs> yeah. other, No, because we have, because at, because at, at YSU we have black faculty, but mm-hmm. but the the faculty who are from Africa, mm-hmm. they do not relate to the to the the same way that the African Americans relate. So we gonna <laughs> we gonna go ahead and go go on the break. Um, we gonna spend this spend this last uh, what ten minutes on the other side, just talking about what brings you life because we've we've talked about a lot of negativity we're going to talk about what brings you life and what is bringing you energy so thank you for listening we're just going to go going to take this break uh you are listening to unapologetically black for sticking with us this is unapologetically black with e king and just ice as well as dr shani what's going on hey all right so we like i said we were we were pretty it was pretty heavy. So let's offer a couple <laughs> solutions right quick before we get into this uh, flavor in your ear. Go for it. Solutions. Yeah. Uh, I, honestly, for my, for me, my solution to microaggressions, and I'm going to give an example where I messed up recently. I was supposed to go on a cruise um, this past weekend, and when I got up to the, the counter um, to give the lady my, 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 my paperwork, my birth certificate is an old birth certificate. So it's all, you know, it's ratty. Mm-hmm. And so the lady was chastising me about my birth certificate and she was doing it honestly in a very you know demeaning way and so I responded in kind like well you didn't ask your website doesn't say I need to have a brand new one it says I can bring an old one long story short I had an issue with my um, birth certificate and so she doesn't let me on the on on the cruise Mm -hmm. and the point of me saying that is that you know on my end I should be punched in the face because I should have in all honesty been polite to her regardless of how she responded to me and what microaggression she was giving to me mm-hmm. um but i also have to be she also has to know and understand i believe in the future that she um was doing something and all i did was respond in kind right so my my, my point is and in, in getting over the microaggression is mm-hmm. when you recognize that someone is doing that mm-hmm. use that moment to try to get them to understand what it is that they're doing if you can Okay. You know, try to point out the microaggression. Try to point out what it is, the shade, mm-hmm. if you will. My, I think, so I'm going to go back on something you said, and as it worked with relationships, I think a lot of microaggressions or, yeah, a lot of microaggressions has a lot to do about relationships. So in my, in, in my you know, field of business, I do this formula with couples or with anybody. I, I say CCT. Uh, communication, collaboration, and trust all, you know, builds relationship. And I think that's the problem. So just just to give an example, so I have a pit bull. I have a pit bull mixed with an Australian cattle hound. To me, to me, I feel as though the way that individuals look at pit bulls is similar to the way that they look at black people. Because the first thing when you think about, when you think about a pit bull, the first thing you think about is, is what? Aggression, 
you know, biting and killing. The first, and that's, you can say the same happens with black people. First time you see a black person, if they look like justice, they look like me, we get, we get different looks, but the idea is what is this black person going to do, do to me? Now, I have a pit bull. And I remember when I, I stay in a predominantly white neighborhood, and when I would I had this pit bull outside, I can see people, these white people, looking like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. But not until these people actually began to play with the dog and notice that the dog has more to do with, it has more to do about the individual or the owner than it actually has to do with the dog. That's how it is with us black people. We have... there society has to see that it has more to do with individual and where that person's family come from, meaning as in what they are, what they've been instilled, rather than just looking at them from just the level of, oh, you're black and you're automatically bad. What but we got? shouldn't have to play with these people you're right. before they realize we're not going to bite them. And like I'm that. not saying play with them. I'm <laughs> that's, just that's saying. That's my point. I'm not, like, saying, I'm not no, saying that. Listen, I'm telling you, but back to Justice Day, like, I am on, like, 2018, I am mm-hmm. calling, I call everybody out on everything. Like, I don't even care anymore. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a 10-year professor. I'm calling out the president. Mm-hmm. I'm calling out the provost. I'm calling out the dean. Like, I'm calling out everybody that needs to be called out on certain issues, right? Like, we have an 8% graduation for our black students. Mm-hmm. I'm calling you out. How come um, 92% of our black students aren't graduating from this university? That seems problematic to me. What are we doing to address this issue? What kind of policies do we have in place to address this, is, this issue? Because mm-hmm. this is what we're supposed to do, and these are the steps that we need to take. Right. And what happened when I started doing that was somebody pulled me aside and said, we have an 8% graduation rate for our black students? Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that, right? So now I'm working on a research project with another faculty member in a different department to Mm -hmm. look at incoming African-Americans who's leaving so that we can collect hard data Mm -hmm. so that we will be able to say, okay, listen, y'all are numbers people. These are what the numbers show. All right. So what's the solution? That's what I'm telling you. The solution is to get information, to get data, and to put it in a a construct that people can see. Because what... As a director of women and gender studies, somebody mm-hmm. said, why should we care about women's issues? Mm-hmm. So when we say, why should we care about African-American issues? Because I'm going to tell you, these aren't African-American issues. These are community issues. Okay. Yes. The All way right. you treat your people. Listen, I'm telling you, you know that poem, right? Yes. First they came from the unionists, yeah. and I didn't say nothing. Yep. Then they came from the trades people, and I didn't say nothing because I wasn't a trades people. Mm-hmm. Then they came from the Jews, mm-hmm. and I didn't say nothing because I wasn't Jewish. Mm-hmm. And then they came for me, and there was nobody left to speak up for me. So keep playing if you want to and treat <laughs> groups the way you want to treat them. Right. But when they come for you, it's real. It's so real. let's let's it's flip real. this so that we can close this out. So what? So you're a runner, Doctor Shani. I run sometimes. What song right now is <laughs> yes, you? She, she looking good too. I can right. see it working. Go ahead, Shani. Go ahead. I see you. What song right you. now giving you energy and giving you flavor? But I told you told me it had to be a clean. Well, we're song. not gonna play it. We we gonna play the clean version. Okay. Well, I've been listening to. I like the uh, the J Cole Crooked Smile. All right. Cool. Is that it? What? What it make you feel J. like? Smile. What it make yeah, you feel I just, like? It just gives me that. On my way. On my way. On my way. <laughs> just give me that little push I need. Or if you want to play something else, every t- every once in a while I have to do my Beyonce Get Body. Once again, thank you for thank joining you. us for episode two. We got Just Ice. What's happening? We got E. King. And check us out next week on WOVU LP Cleveland 95.9. Have a great week. Peace.